You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. All right. Welcome to Refrigerated Diaries, brought to you from the Detroit Podcast Network and sponsored by the Foundation Hotel. From workout classes to lively soirees, the Detroit Foundation Hotel is a place where the local community and hotel guests can celebrate together. Be sure to check out the apparatus room, bridging the old into the new, offering iconic new American cuisine rooted in Midwestern ingredients. So welcome to episode three of Refrigerated Diaries, where we have Pete Vargas and Scott Rudderbush. We're going to be talking about quite a few things, but before we dive in with Scott, here's a real conversation at a drive-through. I'll have the cafe au lait. The server goes, "We don't have that." I say, "It's coffee with steamed milk." To which he responds again, "Yeah, we don't have that." Confused, I asked, "Do you have coffee?" He says, "Yes, we do." Pressing my luck, I ask, "And, and do you have steamed milk?" He says, "Yes, for the lattes." Happy to hear this, I say, "Okay, great. Take the coffee and the steamed milk and combine them." He says, but the steamed milk is only available for the lattes. Defeated, I responded, I'll take a black coffee. Let's get right into it with you. How are you, Scott? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for thanks for coming on. Scott, so you, you've been a busy man here in the city of Detroit. I, I don't think I can have a conversation with uh, one person without... Dine, Drink, Detroit, or Le Petit Thing coming up in some way, form, or fashion. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a busy ride. There's a lot to do in, in the city, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and so you're, you're also part of uh, a few other um, organizations and uh, venues in the city of Detroit as well, correct? Yes, uh, I have a, a event venue um, called The Eastern, which is uh, in the old uh, firehouse. Uh, in the Eastern Market, and we host uh, uh, private events and public events, uh, 5,000 square foot warehouse, and it's a great opportunity to uh, either celebrate a life moment or, you know, throw an event or a party uh, of your own, and uh, space is available 24-7 for, for rent. Okay, all right. So, in addition to that, you're also a, a part owner, co-founder of Le Petit Zinc, is that correct? I am a part owner, yes. I didn't found, find it. My partner, Karima, did in 2009, opened in uh, Corktown, and then I partnered with her uh, about two and a half years ago and uh, have been, uh, you know, with, with her ever since. Uh, we we, we uh, closed our Corktown location in September of 2017, and we're getting ready to open our new location in Midtown at 70 West Alexandrine here shortly. Hopefully by the end of the month is our goal. We'll be up and uh, operational again. Okay. Do you have a target date for the end of the month here? We haven't announced uh, yet, but we're we're definitely shooting for you know like I said the last that last week in February. Um, we we have a health inspection pending this week. Uh, if all goes well, um, you know by March first we'll we'll be open. Okay. So when, whenever I, I like look at uh, your resume here, I always think, did you set out to start as a partnership uh, with a few different companies? Yeah, I, Warren Buffett is a good example of this. He's someone who has probably a, a percentage ownership stake in quite a few uh, different uh, organizations and businesses across the country. Is that something you set out to do in Detroit? Yeah, well... <laughs> 
probably a pretty big leap. Uh, I appreciate the compliment, but pretty big leap for me to, to Warren Buffett. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think one of the things that's been in, exciting for me is to sort of be a part of a lot of different things, you know, and it keeps, uh, keeps my creative juices and energies going. Uh, I found that, you know, when I get, uh, involved just in one thing, um, you know, I, t- I find myself with that itch, you know, to try something different and, and experiment with something new. So, uh, I really enjoyed getting my hands in, you know, a few different operations, um, in Detroit. And, you know, I continue to always try to, you know, take time out to, um, be open to other new things. I mean, it's hard. Sometimes you feel like you're busy, but, um, that's what keeps things exciting for me. You know, personally, I love being involved in new projects, re-energizing projects or starting, you know, something new. Uh, I also do some consulting. Uh, one of my clients I've had for the last couple of years has been the block. Um, it's been really fun coming alongside them and working with them and helping to see that business grow and, and, uh, and, and succeed. And that's, you know, one of the things I like to do is, is work with people and help them become better, you know, what they do. Okay. So speaking of exciting projects uh, coming up, you've got one uh, here uh, this weekend, right? Yeah, we have a new event that we launched through Dine Drink Detroit uh, called the Pizza Throwdown uh, Sunday in the Eastern Market, Shed 5. Uh, we've done a lot of events in the Eastern Market. We love that venue. Uh, and yeah, we're really excited. I partnered with, uh, Jason Hall from Slow Roll and, uh, Andres McDonald, who's been a partner of mine in several events, um, over the past year, we've combined forces to throw the ultimate pizza party. Uh, we're going to have 15 different restaurants there represented, uh, sampling their pizzas. Uh, we've got Eastern Market Brewing Company. We'll be there with their beer. Uh, we'll have a full bar on hand. We'll have games and activities. Uh, but overall, it's just you know, going to be a fun opportunity to try a lot of different pizzas in one location. Um, and uh, right now, you know, we're, we're looking like we're going to have over a thousand people. So it should be a really exciting afternoon. Yeah. So don't don't let Scott fool you here. Uh, this isn't the first time you've partnered with Eastern Market. I remember the burger battle, right? Uh, last year, well over something 2,000, 3,000 folks, right? Yeah, we had close to 3,000 people in, in totality for our burger battle last year, which was, again, in, yeah, in the Eastern Market, Shed 5, and uh, it was a similar event, uh, only featuring burgers. You know, we had 20 restaurants competing for the title of Best Burger, and uh, we're looking forward to doing that again this year. On uh, June 24th, we're going to be uh, bringing that back to the market, uh, as well as, uh, we haven't announced this yet, but uh, we will be, uh, bringing Burger Battle to Grand Rapids this year and expanding to a, a new market. So really excited about that that project and that event. And uh, uh, we, we look forward to seeing more and more uh, great things from that. You know, that burgers are just one of those things that people, you know, love just like pizza. And, uh, you know, our goal is to try to bring together the best of, you know, that category for people to be able to experience. Okay, that sounds great. So, you started Dine Drink Detroit. Well, what year was that founded? Uh, we launched in 2012. Okay, and so when, been five years. We've been five years now. Okay, in five years, you've been able to secure partnerships with the Eastern Market, Opportunity Detroit, as well as a number of restaurants around. I think you've had some odd thirty uh, partnerships with restaurants through Dine Drink Detroit. 
Um, is Dine Drink Detroit where you thought it would be five years ago? Is there um, a new landmark, a new path that you're uh, looking to carve with Dine Drink Detroit? So yeah, so where we're taking where we're taking Dine Drink Detroit is we really want to expand, um, you know, the food events. We really feel like uh, events are an avenue for restaurants to be able to get in front of you know new people. Um, and then it's also an opportunity to create a unique and different food experience outside of a restaurant. And I think people are, are looking for, uh, those type of experiences, you know, and, and the success of the events we've done is have really shown that that's what people want. They want to be able to go on a weekend and yeah, it's great to go to a restaurant and those are always going to be there, but there's, you know, people who are seeking, um, you know, different, you know, experiences and, and, and different opportunity, like an event where they can try to experience uh, multiple places all in one category. And that's what we've tried to do is really collaborate, come alongside restaurants and give them a, a showcase, give them a platform to be able to put their products in front of uh, hundreds and thousands of, of different people that may have never been in their restaurant before. And it's an opportunity if they like their product and then in turn they can come out. So, you know, we've really been, Dining Detroit's really been about being a pedestal, you know, being a platform for restaurants um, to really help them to um, get in front of uh, new people, new guests, new customers, and uh, showcase what they do best. Okay. All right. So before we uh, take a break here and uh, jump to our next guest here, Pete, uh, what is the last recommendation you've given out to someone, Scott, uh, for a restaurant to go eat at? The last recommendation that I gave was probably uh, Ima in uh, Court Town. Okay. Someone asked me where, where uh, you know, people always ask me, what's your favorite restaurant? It's always really hard to, like, build on an all-time favorite. But I, what I will say is, like, where I'm going to currently, you know, what's the mm-hmm. spot that's really, like, pulling me in on a regular basis? And Ima tends to be, you know, a spot that I've been to three or four times in the last month. Uh, they have a lobster udon uh, on their menu right now. That's a new featured item that was just, just crazy. It's ridiculous. It's you know <laughs> super good. Um, and so that's been a spot that I've been you know highly recommending uh, people check out. Uh, they haven't been to. It's been open for I believe about a year and a half now. Uh, so it's still relatively new. And uh, they have great noodles um, and great ramen and great great spot to uh, um, especially had a cold day to go and warm up. Okay, well, that's word for the wintertime here. Uh, shout out to Chef Mike Ramson of IMA. And uh, when we come back, we'll be right on with uh, Pete. Before we dive in with Pete, uh, here's a little intro that he shot over. After hankering for some good soul food, the positive energy of the staff, happy to be at work, and the echo of the rhythm and blues on the radio was only surpassed by the placard on the wall of my booth that read, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. used this booth to plan the March on Washington of 1963. All right, we are back with Refrigerated Diaries and our next guest, Pete Vargas. Uh, Pete, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm originally from uh, Michigan, and I have had a long time uh, commitment to, to food and to political justice. I've been a foodie for quite a long time. I've also um, owned several coffee shops and bakeries in my past and uh, saw an opportunity to put both my uh, political consciousness uh, perspectives and marry them with the uh, with the food industry in a different way so that's why i'm glad to be part of, of rock united 
Okay. All right. And uh, you're speaking to us from uh, D.C. now, am I correct? Yes. I'm in the process of planning a, a conference um, in April. And so I'm here in D.C. checking out logistics. I'm going to be convening a little over 60 restaurateurs from all over the country um, the third week of April, actually April 15th through the 18th. I'm going to be hosting some restaurateurs, talk about best practices, um, have, you know, give them some tools uh, to use to bring back to their home, home communities and um, give them some tools to, to, to help them uh, be, be better businesses as well as take care of their workers. And so we're, we're really excited about it. Yeah, so you know, I've actually had the opportunity to to attend uh, one or two of these um, summits here. So there's a lot more than just helping out, right? You guys, um, you've got restaurant tours, you've got employees of restaurant tours, and then you've got guests and patrons of those restaurant tours and um, patrons of those employees that all come together uh, for one common goal of making sure that everyone has a seat at the table. Am I correct? Absolutely. And, and just a, a quick background about Rock uh, United, which is the, 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 the large organization that umbrellas our, our restaurant association. It was an organization that was, was built out of, out of a tragedy. You know, 9-11 happened, and there was a, a restaurant at the top of the World Trade Center called Windows of the World. And from that tragedy... Uh, we lost a lot of restaurant workers that day, but there were some that weren't there or had just gotten off shift. And when those uh, survivors, uh, you know, found themselves displaced, a lot of them were immigrants and uh, people of color and women. Um, they they were in a lot of trouble, and so we were able to to help them create a, a worker center to 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 um, advocate for um, their their issues and challenges in the restaurant industry. But in doing so, we recognized that there were two other major stakeholders uh, above and beyond the restaurant workers. There's two other folks that can influence the industry in a major way. And that would be uh, the consumers, like you mentioned. And so we decided that we wanted to, to, to build a mechanism and infrastructure for uh, diners um, and to, to help influence positive changes in the industry. And then of course, uh, the, the biggest chunk that I work with personally under RAISE, which stands for restaurants, advancing industry standards and employment his employers uh, that said, you know what? Um, yes, I'm, you know, I'm a capitalist. Yes, I, I like to make money. Yes, I like food. But at the same time, I can be successful uh, as well as be a great employer to my employees. Um, and, and I recognize that I have inherited uh, an old system, an antiquated system of doing business. Um, and some of it is good and not all of it is. And so we're, we're trying to, to give them tools uh, from from an employer standpoint, professionalizing standpoint, to help them succeed at being not just a great employer, um, but a successful business as well. Pete, uh, this is Jason. So where is this taking place? As you, I know you say you're in New York now. Where are the locations you guys are actually, you know, actually doing this uh, engagement? So we're a National Restaurant Association. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're actually only about six years old as a restaurant association. The restaurant association that, that most people are familiar with or heard of is the National Restaurant Association, um, which is okay. generally um, funded by, by larger conglomerates. The other NRA. Uh, the, the Taco Bells. The other yeah, NRA. Yeah. So, okay. But what most folks don't know is that the National Restaurant Association is the 10th largest lobbying firm on the Hill in, 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 in D.C. 
So we we created ourselves as our own restaurant association as an alternative to that okay. because we think that we have a restaurant association that has values. And so over the last few years, we, were, we only represented a, you know, a few. It started with a few, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, great folks like Paul Saginaw from the Zingerman's Group, right, said, you know what? I believe in what you're doing. I believe that I can be in um, a healthy business. And so they became advocates as well as allies with us in this transformation of a new restaurant association. Okay. And since then, um, we, we have representation. We represent over 1,000 restaurants across the country that are both part of our, restaurant groups that are po- uh, both part of our RAISE Association and also a program that we call Sanctuary Restaurants uh, program that's also under the, the umbrella of RAISE and, and Rock United. But we do have offices in 10 states, and so we're grateful that we have not just a restaurant, but we, I mean, uh, an office in, in, uh, in Michigan and in Detroit, but we also have a restaurant called Colors. Okay. Uh, and we also have a restaurant um, in uh, New York City, as well as uh, developing one in New Orleans and in Oakland, uh, California. And so we use those restaurants also because when we, when we uh, part of our work involves our employers and consumers, but from uh, a worker standpoint, we try to create upward mobility opportunities for folks that are in the industry to say, you know what, if you want to work in the food industry, I don't care if you're working at McDonald's or if you're working at a fine dining restaurant, mm-hmm. you have the ability and um, you have the right to, to make a living, right? Absolutely. To make at least a living wage. Absolutely. And so sometimes they, you know, sometimes folks aren't on that college track or sometimes folks don't have the resources or time to go to a culinary school for a number of years in their life, right? Because they're living their yeah. life. You know, and, and, and everything can, can, can be a challenge. So we work with um, foundations and grants to be able to offer through a workforce development program we call Chow free culinary front of the house, back of the house training mm-hmm. to folks that are already in the industry to say, you know what, if you want, you know, to, to work at Lowe's Barbecue, you know, and in Detroit, which is also one of our members of, of our association, right? But you might not have had, you know, any experience with, cocktails or bartending or fine dining or customer mm-hmm. service, we will for six weeks give you free training. And so what we, in a, in a full circle kind of way, in a pipeline kind of way, we are trying to create upward mobilities uh, and, and institute op- training and opportunities through our child program, um, which is our, our workforce development program, uh, build that relationship with our consumers to support restaurants that are part of a restaurant association, but also give employers tools that they need uh, as well as a pipeline of the um, great um, folks that have gone through our training to to be able to give them uh, jobs as well. Yeah, you, you guys are hitting every facet, you know, the, the, the front side, the back side, and uh, the corners, man. <laughs> and that's beautiful. You're helping people help themselves, and mm-hmm. I love that. So let's uh, let's talk about this moving power of your organization here. Uh, not a lot of people know uh, that rock was one of the instrumental parts of the sanctuary restaurant and it was around the same time last year am i correct with a lot of the immigration that was happening and things that were going on with um sending immigrants out and deporting folks uh the idea of sanctuary oh, restaurants mm-hmm. came to be with uh rock so when we had a ch- when we had a change in the guard of of our presidential administration there was a lot of anti everything sentiment that was being brought to the table there was anti-women, anti-LGBT, anti-people you know, um, um, uh, of color, uh, religious, you know, gender, you name it. It was, there just seemed to be like this anti-narrative that was happening that created a lot of fear, you know. And so, uh, you know, we recognize that uh, our workers within our restaurant industry need to be uh, supported 
and made made felt welcome. And so what we did was we we threw this big blanket out um, and and this call to arms that said, you know what, we are inviting people to be part of this sanctuary restaurant uh, initiative. We believe that everybody has a seat at the table, regardless of your gender discrimination or your your um, I mean your gender status, LGBT, uh, women, immigrants, um, documented or undocumented. Uh, if you are a restaurateur, consumer, um, or worker that believes that everybody has a safe space or should have a safe space to eat and to work, then we want you to, to join us. And from, from there, tens of thousands of people from all over the country signed up, and they signed up to the tenets of those morals and principles of a safe space to eat. Um, and what we found was that it was a great opportunity to, to introduce them to uh, the Restaurant Association of Rays as well. And so it's just been a been, been a fantastic, fantastic uh, ride with meeting some of these folks and doing some advocacy work with them, and uh, and also just having some great food at the same time. All right. Well, thank you very much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, all of us are going to have our discussions on supply chain, good practices, and is food enough? When we come back on Refrigerated Diaries. All right, we are back on Refrigerated Diaries here with our guests Pete and Scott. And we're going to start discussing good practices, supply chain, and is food enough? Scott, I want to tap on you here with is food enough? I think you have quite uh, a background as it relates to just programming in general. This is something that I don't talk about often, but my ties within the restaurant, having a food truck and operating with Young Village, I've always found that any event any restaurant, any just gathering of people, um, in most cases, I find that the food isn't enough. There's usually some draw to the decorum of the space, some aspect of the social mission that the um, organization or restaurant is on, or simply they have a good happy hour or some music to listen to live or, or just a nice DJ that just kind of gets people uh, going and attracted. It, it's almost now uh, considered unheard of to open a restaurant these days without even having access to or some some capacity for uh, of a liquor license. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that you know, going out. I mean, even even going dating back to when I was a kid was a treat, right? It was mm-hmm. it was something that you looked at, you looked forward to, because it was an experience outside of having uh, a meal at home. Um, you know, I think nowadays, uh, you know, people go out probably more so, um, or at least a lot of people, their lifestyles due to working multiple jobs, being out and about, uh, we tend to, uh, grab food on the go, uh, more as, as a function, um, than we have in the past. But at the end of the day, uh, we, we typically go out to an event or go out to a restaurant because we're trying to have some sort of experience, whether it's with a group of people that we are with, or even as an individual, you know, we're going out because not because we need food from that place because we could go to the grocery store, buy food. We can make food at home, but we're going because we want that interaction. We want the community. We want that sense of, uh, you know, being able to interact with whether the bartender the server or the group of, you know, friends that we had decided to meet there. I totally agree with me personally. My, uh, 
wife to be at this point you know we'll cook all day every day if we go somewhere it's really for a like say a, a event or experience or maybe someone's you know um performing there later on but just to uh, go eat just go somewhere just to eat the food at this point you know you might get one maybe two but after that just to go for the food I, i'm you know I'm making my own. I'm, I'm copying. I'm trying to figure out what you did and made me a cheaper, right. quicker version of it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and keep it going. You know, so I totally agree with you that food, you know, food is not enough. It's been enough. But that goes back to McDonald's. McDonald's we all went to McDonald's. It was because of the Playscape and the Happy Meal. You know, I think that goes back to that kind of like this is it, from the, from that point it might be fast food, but it's still an experience, you know. Yeah, I find myself uh, jumping in to eat at a place if I know who's cooking. Like, uh, I don't, I don't go there enough for batch brewing and Chef Matt. I, I usually like to travel and, and try something that he's working on because I, I know he's he's putting in time. Yeah. So, uh, right, and, and I think his, you know, knowing him as well, his personality, right? Right. Sometimes yeah. Sometimes it's. Not even about entertainment. That's, that can be part of it, but it's also, you know, we go to places because of the personalities attached with those businesses. Like it could be a bartender, could be a chef like Chef Matt who will come out, talk to you about his food, talk to you about when he puts in the food, you know, and that thoughtfulness and that care comes out and it's infectious, you know, and that's part of that experience. Sometimes it's not talked about a lot is, um, you know, what's put into on that plate is more than just a product, but it's someone's passion. It's art. And, and it's when art. you get a chance to experience that by talking to the chef or the owner or a bartender that cares about what they're making, that matters. Yeah, but I'll say this. Food is enough for me not to go back <laughs> on the opposite side. Sure. Yeah, you know, if, it's, <laughs> if the food is... uh not up to par or just, you know, just bad quality, I definitely will not go back because of the food. So I guess it won't, food won't draw me there, but it'll definitely keep me away. How about that? You know, I was just thinking about that. It's a double standard indeed. <laughs> One of those. So let, let's talk about supply chain. Uh, Pete, I know you're globetrotting here, working on the One Fair Wage campaign. Uh, you're between Detroit, New York, and dc correct correct yes so as you're talking with different restaurants and different restaurateurs and food providers in these uh in these uh, midwestern states and uh, east coast states uh what what are some of the things that you you are dealing with i I mean my my conversations usually lead to systems more than anything being the major um topic of discussion as it relates to supply chain, uh, whether it be delivery, whether it be distribution. Uh, at the end of the day, all of these tend to cut into margins, which then affect the overall decisions of that food company. No, absolutely. And uh, historically, the, uh, the restaurant industry is like one of the only industries out there that has not really changed over time in the way that it's, it's done business. Um, it's, and it's, it's been like that, uh, at least for like the last 150 years. 
And so we're, we're starting to have new conversations. And, um, and, and so recognizing that uh, a lot of these restaurants are only working on, you know, anywhere from a 5 to 8% uh, profit margin in general, um, it's, you know, it, it, it takes some finesse to want to make any, um, any kind of changes in the business, business model. Um, as well as recognize that, you know what, there's been a lot of times historically, and, you know, Scott, you can, you can speak to this too, is that for the last 30, 40 years, there's been a lot of changes and a lot of de- demand from the consumer to, uh, to, to concentrate on like organics and, and grass-fed foods and that part of the supply chain, right? Um, but uh, when it came to the supply chain of folks that are actually working in the restaurants, uh, that's where that's where the the thoughtfulness and, and, and changes kind of stopped. And so we're having those kinds of new conversations, um, and uh, that's that's been the focus of our of our co- um, conversations in the East Coast. A lot of uh, some of these conversations have happened on the West Coast quite a bit. Uh, there's a, there's been some sweeping changes within the restaurant industry um, when it came to the entire supply chain, not just from the suppliers of the food, but uh, but also the the folks that are providing it to the table. Um, and those changes have been very very positive in the industry. Um, but a lot of folks on the East Coast, uh, in New York and in DC, uh, have have not had those conversations before. So it's a lot of education in the process of doing it. You think is that more because because of uh, just a culture, whereas West Coast tend to, tend to be a little more liberal. They will always kind of be a, uh, a step ahead when it comes to um, dietary you know, foods and and organics. You think is that because it's just more of a, a culture thing, or is it just be flat out? You know the the cost is because New York is all the way over there, and the West Coast is where they're at. They're closer to the actual processed foods. That maybe that. I think case? it's a little bit of both. I think okay. it's a little bit of both, but what we're finding is that some of those restaurateurs in, in the West Coast mm-hmm. um, have, are growing, and they've been, they've been excelling at, at their different business models. And so they're looking to expand on the East Coast. Okay. And so they're looking at folks like you know, Tom Colicchio and Danny Meyer with the USHG, you know, folks that have kind of taken those first steps to kind of change the way that they do business to recognize that the, the responsibility of the food chain doesn't end at the table or, or at the at um, the back door of the restaurant, that it could continue to to the plate, that there's folks that are stepping up, but they don't want to do it by themselves, you know. Um, but they also were, were super excited that, um, you know, that Governor Cuomo from New York has uh, actually supported legislation that we've talked about when it comes to our one fair wage, um, that, uh, that we're super excited to, to be pushing forward. Um, especially at this time, uh, the one thing that, um, has, we, we can all relate to, and that we've heard over the last six months or so has been this, uh, this call to action for this me too movement. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with a industry that has 13 million, uh, restaurant workers in it, which means one out of 11 of us are either in the industry or know somebody in the industry, right? That's a lot of women um, that are being affected uh, or can be affected in the workplace during this Me Too movement. And so a lot of us celebrity chefs have found themselves in hot water. Um, and so one of our charges this year is really to focus on making sure that our women in the industry are safe. And so I just, uh, That's great. over over a Christmas break, um, I, I created a sexual harassment training specifically for 
the restaurant industry and not just for their employees, but for their employers as well. And we're offering that for free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we know that we have to own the change within the industry in a positive way. And rather than paint the entire, you know, paint the industry with broad strokes of negativity, we recognize that there's some fantastic and amazing restaurateurs out there and restaurant groups that want to do the right thing, but don't necessarily have the tools. Uh, and so we, we want to be there for them. We want to, we want to lift them up and, and amplify that movement in a positive way. I just got back from New York and it was with the James Beard Foundation and, uh, and it was in a room with 40 other restaurateur women chefs and they were like, hey, we want to see change. And we want to talk about how, you know, the role that men play in this, in this transformation in our industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the role that we should play. And so it was, it was a very, very amazing piece. Uh, and I was, I was honored to be you know, part of that discussion but those things are happening right now. Wow, that's yeah. great, man. That's, I love your passion. I love yeah. your passion because so that's, that's what we need. So that's a good cue in here. And this is uh, close to home as well. Uh, I think it's one in seven uh, just people uh, will have worked within a restaurant or some type of food business within their lifetime. And this goes from everyone, from your John Stewart's and your Amy Pollard's to uh, just your uh, folks who are working on the uh, the line in the kitchen um, and the hostesses. So uh, that being said, our next uh, topic here, good practices, and it sounds like you've already got one going in place there, Pete. Uh, Scott, when you think of good practices as it relates to the industry, what comes to mind? You know, I think that, um, you know, one thing that uh, can be often overlooked in the industry is, is sort of keeping your ear to the ground and really listening to your customer base. I think that, you know, one of the things we talked, we started the conversation about supply chain and all these different, um, uh, you know, sources of, of, of getting product, whether it's organic or whether it's you know, straight out of the boat, uh, flown in fresh. I mean, there's a lot of different names and, and things being thrown around of products that restaurants are bringing in. And I think that you can easily get caught up in sort of competition um, with other restaurants and, and, and not be as focused on what your customer base is telling you. Um and so I think, you know, keeping your ear to the ground and really listening to your customers is something that has sort of been an age old kind of practice, but it's sort of fallen um, by the wayside in this highly competitive uh, industry, as well as this highly social media uh, industry. We find, you find owners and managers spending more time on Yelp and reading reviews and being online. Those may not be your your core customers, you know, just because somebody comes in and tries a restaurant right. one time and gives you a bad review doesn't mean you know, that person could just be in town for a week. Right. And, you know, it doesn't mean their feedback is, is the most important feedback uh, that you should be listening to. Um, but it, it's that guy in the corner of the bar that comes in three, four times a week. Um, Absolutely. That sometimes we don't take the time to go out and, and really talk to him and listen to him and, you know, why does he come in? What, what makes this place special for him and making sure that we're staying true to, you know, to those, you know, those principles. So I think that, you know, that's something that is the best practice um, that I've tried to implement. And I think is pretty, uh, pretty timeless, but, but in this day and age, I think is, is even much more important. It's just the idea of, you know, really being passionate and obsessed with our customers and learning from them and making, 
uh, making your establishment the best that it can be uh, from a food standpoint, from a service standpoint, from, you know, from employee, um, you know, satisfaction standpoint, all those factors, you know, play into that. But yeah, absolutely. That's a uh, similar, I always say for me, that's the, the cheers aspect, the cheers factor, you know, where everyone knows your name, you know, they never talked mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. How, about the beer at cheers or the fries. <laughs> they talked about, the camaraderie. And so that's one thing that's right. definitely lost nowadays. Because you're right, everyone's trying to make money. Everyone's trying to compete, trying to be the best instead of just doing, you know, just focusing on themselves uh, and just working and being patient to your customers. Because nothing grind my gears more than when I go to a place, I spend money there, I'm patient, and they still act like, you know, I'm first person, first time I ever coming in, coming through the door. And it's kind of <laughs> like, what the hell? I'm here faithfully every thursday drinking this flat labac you know <laughs> but i you know <laughs> for whatever reason i'm here and you know so just i i think in in my experience just like you say just recognition recognizing hey we appreciate you you know and um that can go a long way so that that's a i think that's a, a, a best practice that more people should to do you know yeah i definitely think best practices uh as it relates to that is on both sides. We appreciate you as the customer. We appreciate you as an employee. Uh, and um, Correct, that uh, too. Yeah. Uh, vice versa. So uh, that is all for our refrigerator diaries here. Um, be sure to uh, not forget that we're going to be going to the uh, Pizza Throwdown here February 11th. Hey. Yeah, yeah. And then also, yeah. uh, keep in mind that uh, we're also pushing the uh, One Fair Wage campaigns here, uh, especially uh, for the state of Michigan. And if you're more interested in more information, please do, be sure to check out Rock United and Arrays. That being said, uh, please reach out to us with your refrigerator diaries. If you've got good practices that you think we should talk about or should just be stated, feel free to email them to us, post them on our Facebook page. And if, in fact, you also think that there are things that we missed in this episode, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, thank you very much.